I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, mm-hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowler-Jack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. to the podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack and I'm here with my guest, Lene Ross. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Britt. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to start uh, at the very beginning of the kind of story that we're hoping to, to talk about. And I ask you, how did you end up originally in the Church of the Nazarene? So I, I was not raised in the church. I was in Christian school from first through fifth grade. So that's how I, uh, that's where I trace my first introduction to Jesus and Christianity. Mm. Um, But I was invited to a youth group in high school. And that was when I really uh, started my journey as a devout follower of Jesus. Uh, That was in a, uh, again, that was near the end of high school. I joined the Air Force shortly after I graduated, uh, met my husband in training. We got married and, uh, you know, we were at our first duty station, which was in Augusta, Georgia, and we're, you know, looking, looking for a church. And um, he was raised Church of the Nazarene. So we briefly attended uh, Nazarene churches in our early marriage. Um, And then, you know, we relocated a few times and that wasn't really important to either of us to be Nazarenes. but the duty station that we were at in 2013 and 2014 uh, was, oh no, I'm sorry, it's 2012, 2013. We were overseas. Mm. And that was really where I sensed a call to ministry. And I was, I had just resumed my bachelor's degree and I was like, well, I really want to go to seminary. And so I started the not unique journey for many women who feel called to ministry of researching like, well, which churches can I be a pastor in? Mm. Um, so I, I remember spending several days of like tireless research and, you know, I, you know, I found some denominations that I was like, okay. Um, but you know, I wasn't drawn to their seminaries or, or vice versa. And, uh, so it's funny, like at the end of these few days of research was just ranting to my husband. I was like, I'm never going to be a pastor. And he like looks up from the other side of the room and he's like, Hey, I think the church of the Nazarene ordains women. Uh, that was kind of like our, you know, that was sort of the the lighthouse, if you will, that guided us back to the church of the Nazarene. Mm. We knew where we were headed back to, which is where we are now. So we looked, you know, at churches in the area where we would be stationed at and found a church of the Nazarene online, ended up uh, going there our very first Sunday 
we were back in the States um, and that was where I was first licensed and how I ended up in the Church of the Nazarene. Mm, I love that story. Um, so kind of continue that story. Tell me how it played out for you. Well, the, the church where we were members and where I was first licensed was a really, really big church uh, on the district here. And that was a new experience for us. And um, you can imagine how that kind of compounded like the difficulties of this really alien process for me mm. of, you know, pursuing licensed coordination. And um, the lead pastor at the time was um, initially very forthcoming with information. You know, he sat down with me and explained the whole process to me from start to finish. Um, but again, the church was really large. And so, you know, at that point, once he kind of like gave me that push, <laughs> you know, down the hill, it was like, all right, you know, it was kind of like getting thrown into the deep end. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I involved myself in a lot of different ministries. Um, but it was about a year and a half later that a church plant was announced. They were sending out the youth pastor to plant a church um, on the other side of town. And uh, I knew right away, you know, listening to them describe the vision for it and what, you know, what it was going to look like. I was like, yeah, I really want to be a part of that. And my husband felt the same way. So um, we joined the launch team and, you know, we were part of the, you know, the planning process and just getting everything together immediately. I was, you know, working really closely side by side with the planting pastor. Um, and, you know, he told me shortly before we launched that he wanted me to be on staff as the executive pastor, which was a far, uh, a, a role with far more responsibility <laughs> than I anticipated <laughs> I would be uh, invited to hold. Um, but I, I was game, you know, and I was excited. So that church launched, hopefully I'm remembering this correctly, uh, on Easter Sunday in 2016. Um, he was ordained and I was district licensed the month after we launched. Um, and so that's kind of like my my journey to to district licensing, um, mm. being a licensed minister in the Church of the Nazarene. Yeah, uh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I would love to ask you, when was the first time that you thought you might not stay in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, I mentioned being part of a church plan and that being my first pastoral role and uh, i was i was in that position for about three years when i was approached by the district superintendent and invited to plant a church as the lead pastor um, on our district so i was really excited about that and uh i he invited me along to tag along to all of the area pastors meetings on our district that fall to share the vision that I had for the church plan and really just uh, get to know, you know, my other colleagues on the mm -hmm. district. And, um, and that, that was really a lovely experience in a lot of ways, but I remember sitting at these meetings and the, um, you know, the revisions have been made to the, the new manual, you mm -hmm. know, after the, the previous, uh, General Assembly and uh, including the manual statement on human sexuality. And so the DS was handing out copies of this at each of these meetings. So I, I you know, read it and then uh, was among my colleagues as they processed it multiple times over. Hmm. And, uh, you know, admittedly, I, I don't, 
I don't know. I don't know, Britt, if uh, if there was a, a statement on human sexuality in the manual before the one that's currently in there. Do you know? If, if uh, yes, I think so, but uh, I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what it said. Okay. Yeah, that that predates my entry into the Church of the Nazarene, so I I don't know that answer either. But he was circulating, you know, the updated version of it, and I was reading it, you know, with everyone and. Um, you know, I like to describe the, the current statement as being gracious at a glance, or at least as gracious as it can be um, mm -hmm. when you consider the theology or the theological basis, you know, that it's it's coming from. Um, but it, it really is kind of woefully full of gaps, mm -hmm. you know, as far as what we understand about human sexuality. It's, it's very narrow. Um, and for people who are listening who may not be familiar with it, um, in a nutshell, you know, it, it describes as many other evangelical traditions and churches do that, you know, marriage is only biblically sanctioned between um, cisgender men and women. So I, you know, I knew in my heart, I, like many other people that I, I was really wrestling, you know, with what I understood about human sexuality and mm. um, the theological uh, explanations that I was being presented with um, and, and the way that I was observing the church uh, both defining those things and engaging that community or, mm. or not engaging, if we're being honest. And I was sitting in this meeting and, um, you know, the DS was not, he wasn't mean about it. He wasn't, uh, I did not perceive him as being threatening, but he did say, you know, listen, this, this is our statement. This is where we stand. And if you are not in agreement with it, if you will not abide by it, then this is not the place for you. You know, you, you need to go elsewhere to minister. And that really shook me up because I'd really come to love the Church of the Nazarene. I'd really fallen in love with its theology. And I was really proud to be Nazarene and to be mm. part of this movement. You know, it, it startled me because that was the first time that I realized, well, gosh, there's, there's something in me, something I'm struggling with. And I don't know where I, I'm going to be when I settle with it. And that place may not be here um, in this place that I've with these people that I've come to love. So that was, um, like I said, that was when I was leading up to becoming a church planter. Um, we were supposed to launch the new church uh, on Easter of 2020. And like the rest of the world, our plans changed drastically when uh, COVID-19 spread across the globe. Mm -hmm. um, we did end up uh, launching ministry that was very complicated and uh, shifted a lot depending on, on what uh, the virus, how the virus was uh, impacting our community. You know, we were just kind of playing it by ear. You know, we were virtual. We did in person for a while and all those things. And, um, and that was a really beautiful, lovely time. Um, but I had been approved for ordination as well for that spring. And that was also delayed mm -hmm. until the fall. Mm -hmm. So when that fall finally rolled around, you know, and it's just been a really brutal year of ministry. Um, I mean, a real heck of a first year of lead pastoring mm -hmm. of a brand new church. It was just, it was just crazy. Um, but finally we found out, okay, um, you know, we were, 
myself and the other ordinands, you know, we would be able to be ordained in November. And um, I was excited about that. And normally on our district, again, I'm not sure how the other districts do it across the globe, uh, but on our district, you know, there's usually a pre-ordination meal um, and meeting with the general superintendent who mm -hmm. will be ordaining you. And uh, that took place over Zoom for obvious reasons. And, uh, you know, we, we all get into the, the Zoom meeting and I was just, you know, at that point, I was just like, you know, we've been waiting for so long and it's just, we were getting our butts kicked, you know, <laughs> in ministry. And I was like, oh, you know, just breathe life into me. Like, you know, it just felt like this wonderful moment of having arrived. Mm. Um, and in this Zoom call, you know, the, uh, the general superintendent greets us all and we do a really quick round robin of just, you know, giving very brief details about our lives and our ministry context and all of that. And then the general superintendent says, okay, well, I have three things that I want to discuss with you tonight. And I'm going to kind of go out of order here just to kind of emphasize how this fits within my answer to your question. Mm -hmm. um, but the last thing that the general superintendent talked about was um, to keep in mind uh, investing in your retirement. Mm -hmm. So this GS had seen a lot of, you know, pastors who, you know, for various reasons had not and really had a lot of issues post-retirement or if and when they chose to leave ministry. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that they strongly cautioned us, you know, just be thinking about that now. Mm -hmm. um, that was the last subject. The, the middle subject was about uh, the denominational stance on abstaining from alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, don't do it. Don't mm -hmm. do it. Uh, you can't do it. Um, and there was some discussion of, you know, just uh, statistics of alcoholism and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was that. Um, but the first thing that the GS talked about, and they talked about it at length, it was, it was quite long, was the denominational stance on human sexuality. Mm. And that really stunned me. You know, after a year of, of trying to incarnate the, the presence and hope of Jesus amid a pandemic that was just killing people, um, I really just could not believe that th this is what they chose to, to invest so much time and emphasis on mm. um, was where we stood on or, you know, how we explain how people identify and who they love. Um, I mean, it went on long enough. Um, so, you know, if, if the ordinand uh, has a partner, they were present on the Zoom call as well. So my husband is, was sitting next to me and uh, and he's a very even keel guy. <laughs> if you know him, he's very stoic, unmoved by much. Uh, he's just, he's a rock. And, uh, and he was sitting there and the GS goes on long enough that he kind of put, you know, it was like a movie moment. He kind of put his hand up over his face and turned to me and I, we make eye contact and he mouths the word, wow. Mm. Um, so when the Zoom call concluded, you know, I remember looking at him and saying, I don't know if I can do this. Mm. Um, and that was because by then I, again, I had not done an in-depth, completely thorough study, but I was pretty sure that I um, was entirely affirming 
mm. of persons who are LGBTQ and, and, you know, and of their relationships. And I had done some research, but again, not comprehensive. Um, I talked to two mentors before I was ordained later in the week, um, just because it was, you know, vitally important to me if I was going to receive this ordination from the church that I could do it with full integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, their counsel to me was essentially the same. Um, and I should note, I, I, I'm leaving this out, but the reason why I consulted with these two mentors is because they are both Nazarene pastors who I know to be affirming. And so my question to them was, and they've both been pastors for quite a long time. So my question to them was, how have you done it? How have you remained, you know, in the church of the Nazarene, even though you are fully affirming, like, how did you do it? Um, and still, uh, uphold your ordination vows, um, even though you have such strong feelings about this particular practice and, and stance. And they both told me, you know, well, we, we've <laughs> played by the rules, you know, play by the rules. Um, but, you know, your ordination is coming from God and not from this individual. And, um, and that was kind of what they said you know, lumped together and, and really generally summarized. So I, I did go through with the ordination. I had I had peace about it and still felt very strongly about my call to where I was at and what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So that was in November and uh, it was in, I want to say late January. So just, I mean, a couple months later that my friend who is an or, or was an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene uh, contacted me and said, you know, I, I'm leaving. And it came at a particular time uh, in our ministry at the church plant. We were taking a congregational-wide sabbatical. We really needed to start over just because of the way the pandemic had affected what we were doing in the community. And so her sharing this news that she needed to leave um, came at a time when I actually had the space to process that for myself. Mm. And... I didn't really intend to when she first told me, you know, I was shaken and I was grieving, you know, because a dear friend, a colleague that I respect, a really good pastor who cares for her people, um, you know, and I, I was just really torn up about it, but I, I didn't receive that news and automatically think, well, I need to, I need to examine, you know, where I stand on this, you know, I was like, I'm ordained, like, I'm just go do the thing. Mm. And, uh, and it ended up that uh, it really just kind of kept surfacing in my mind. And so I went ahead and, and did that thorough study that I told mm-hmm. you about. You know, mm-hmm. I was reading all sorts of books, all sorts of resources, of course, talking with my husband and, and talking with other people, other friends. And I realized without a doubt, you know, based on my own study of scripture, that I really did not believe what I had been told, what I had been explained about human sexuality. I didn't think that that was a really accurate exegesis of the scriptures. Mm. And furthermore, most importantly, I did not feel that it was consistent with my own testimony of the gospels and and my understanding of Jesus Christ and Jesus mission on earth. And, um, you know, so that kind of left me with the question, right? Cause like, mm-hmm. it's like, I am affirming. So the big question is, do I remain in and just kind of do what I can, um, while following the rules, right. Or, or do I leave, you know? 
And, um, you know, I, I have, I had so many colleagues that remain in the Church of the Nazarene that I know are affirming, and, and that is a hard choice to make as well. Um, but for me, um, what it came down to, and, and this was especially uh, close to the surface for me as a church planter, because it was ever at the forefront of my mind, was that, you know, I was actively, constantly, uh, reaching out to my community members, my neighbors and saying like, you're welcome. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. Mm. And I distinctly felt that that welcome was limited, mm. you know, that we kept saying everyone's welcome, but I knew, and I, and I would just feel it kind of eating at me, but we don't really mean that when we say it, um, it, it, it can't carry all the way through, you know, it's that it's conditional welcome in that at some point, you know, these individuals, you know, certain individuals would be barred from, from places of ministry, um, depending on their choices. And, and that just, I couldn't, I couldn't sit with that really certainly believing that, um, the explanation from scripture that we were giving people for it, I did not feel was even accurate. So that's what ultimately, um, led me to conclude and, and my husband he was in agreement with me that I I needed to go I, I needed mm. to leave it was time to exit mm. so a- after you made that decision can you talk to me about the the process what happened next well I was terrified <laughs> um yeah I, especially because m- my decision came so soon after my ordination I was just like this is insanity. Who does this? Mm. You know, right after they've been ordained, you know, you, you've invested so many years of training and um, and just your formation, your growth. It's an incredibly vulnerable process to be yeah. licensed and then ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. And you know, I, you know, having finally been ordained, you know, I I had expected that I'd be able to breathe. You know, mm. when when it was when it was done. Um, and so it felt a little just crazy uh, to be, you know, coming back and saying, I don't know if I want to keep this. Mm-hmm. So what that looked like for me, though, um, I reached out to my district superintendent and said, hey, I, I need to meet with you. Um, and, uh, you know, he immediately he's and this is very uh, characteristic of him. He was like, OK, you know, um, I found my experience with him. You know, if you if you let him know, like, hey, I've got something really important I need to talk to you about. He's like, OK, I'm going to clear the schedule and let's let's find a spot for you. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I only had to wait maybe a week to meet with him. And we met at a Panera and, uh, you know, we sat down, said hello. And I uh, I don't remember exactly. I don't think we chatted for very long, you know, about casual things it's like all right let's just let's just do this thing mm. and uh, so I told him I said hey I, I know this will come as a shock to you but I've um I'm resigning you know as as the lead pastor of the church where I'm at and and I'm I'm also leaving the church of the Nazarene because I am fully affirming of uh LGBTQ persons and, and um I my desire and how I desire to minister to that community and truly be um, with that community. I, I cannot do that as a Nazarene minister. Mm. Um, he was, I mean, he was definitely shocked because for him, this came out of nowhere. You know, it's not like I had, you know, been wrestling with this in my interview meetings, you know, each year. And um, I, I didn't really talk to a lot of people on the district about it because I was, 
I, I didn't talk to anyone about it because mm -hmm. I'm scared, you know? I mean, especially yeah. when, again, when you back up to those area pastors meetings, it's like, it's been made clear, you know? Um, and as a, a young licensed minister, really green around the ears, you know, I was just, you know, I was just like, I, I don't want to mess anything up. Mm. And I was really scared. Um, so it, it was a shock to him. Um, you know, he asked a lot of questions, which again is very characteristic of him. He didn't seem angry. Um, he just seemed very curious. Mm. So he asked me a lot of questions, just kind of similar to the questions you're asking me. When, when did this start? You know, what, what, what's been going through your mind? Yeah. Uh, what led you to make this decision and asked me to meet? Um, and he didn't try to convince me to stay. Mm. Um, I think I remember him saying something to the effect of, you know, you've clearly put your, you know, you've clearly put time and thought and prayer, you know, into this. And, um, I trust your discernment, which really meant a lot to me for him to say, um, we concluded the meeting, you know, he said, well, I'm just going to lay out for you how this process is going to look. We talked a little bit about the logistics of like what it would look like for me to resign the position. And, you know, my family and I were living in the parsonage. Um, which we were actually operating the church plant out of. So we talked a little bit about, you know, just the nuts and bolts of like mm -hmm. what it would to vacate out of there. Um, and then he talked to me a, a little bit about what it, what my options were as far as my credentials yeah. um, as an ordained elder. And um, I did not know, I, I had heard a little bit about it, but again, you know, like, you know, that was kind of like, it was like a hot stove, like, Ooh, I don't want to talk about <laughs> what surrendering your credentials looks like, you know? <laughs> So, um, yeah, so he explained a few of those things, you know, there's something called filing your credentials, you know, where you kind of put them on hold, um, and you can kind of come back and, you know, you're, you're still an ordained elder, but you may not necessarily be active in ministry, um, you know, or I could just resign them, you know, give them back. And, uh, and I was told if I chose to do that, that I would need to surrender the actual certificate of ordination, which I still had in my office, like I hadn't even uh, I hadn't even framed it yet. Um, and, uh, gosh, I'm brain farting. There was one, <laughs> there was one last thing that he mentioned, but I'm, I'm forgetting. Oh, he also, uh, there was a timeline as well, which I don't remember the exact dates. Um, but if I wanted to minister in a Wesleyan denomination, then I had the option of trying to transfer mm. my credentials or at least have them partially accepted. And at the time that was my intention. So we left the meeting, you know, knowing that I was exiting my position, exiting the church of the Nazarene and my credentials would just be, uh, you know, they would, they would remain in good standing while I discerned where I was going from there. Mm. So then what happened next? Tell me more. Well, from there, you know, that was, you know, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Um, you know, we were, the, the district was uh, very gracious about giving us a lot of space and time. You know, they, they didn't say like, you got to get out of the house, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, in a couple of weeks, um, which I appreciated. You know, I, we have five kids and obviously the pandemic's still going on. And um, the, the DS did say to me at that meeting, I just mentioned, he was like, listen, let's just set a tentative date for, you know, I think it was like two months from then, but if you need more time, let me know. Mm. 
but you know, so from that point on, you know, there was a lot of logistical stuff of just packing yeah. up our house and kind of figuring out what's ours, what's the church's. Um, and then there were a lot of conversations that were, that were happening, you know, um, that probably the hardest conversation for me was with my former lead pastor, the, the pastor that I had helped plant the church with before I myself had planted. And, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, he was of course shocked because again, I hadn't talked about it with anyone. And, you know, aside from being, you know, very close colleagues, um, we were also good friends, you know, our families are good friends. And, and I, I think there was also some, some surprise and hurt there as well that I, I hadn't, um, invited him into what was going on with me about that. Um, but he was, you know, he was extremely kind, extremely affirming of me, you know, even though, um, you know, he obviously is, is still comfortable, you know, supporting the stance of the Church of the Nazarene and upholding it. Um, but then the next month was really filled with just a lot of gutting conversations with people. Um, one thing I did do, and it was something I discussed at that initial meeting with the DS, was I, uh, afterwards, I sent an email uh, to I want to say, I can't remember the number. I want to say about eight um, of my colleagues on the district. And they were colleagues that I uh, respected and uh, people that I just, I didn't want them to find out, you know, mm. through word of mouth or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a, you know, sitting at district assembly the next year or something like that. Yeah. And so um, the, the email I sent to them was, uh, it was, a form message in that, you know, I didn't want, I wanted to make sure that what I was saying was consistent from person to person. I didn't want to create confusion in any way. Um, but at the end I did have a personalized uh, message to each of them. Um, but in that email, I explained, you know, listen, this is my decision. This is why. And, um, I, the responses from those were diverse. Um, you know, none of them, of course, agreed, you know, where I stand. Um, several of them were very kind and affirming of me as an individual, like my good friend and former lead pastor had been. Um, a few of them were uh, much more curt, mm. like, okay, thanks for letting me know, you know, God's blessings on you. Um, and even though they were polite, that kind of stunned me a little bit, you know, because yeah. it was just very, it almost felt like a switch have been flipped like, okay, well, you're not in the club anymore. Um, and then one person who I absolutely respect, uh, expected a response from did not respond to me at all. Mm -hmm. And I have not heard from him at all since I, since I left. Um, and that hurt, mm -hmm. um, you know, to just not have been, uh, invited to some sort of a conversation about it, uh, that, that, that really surprised me um, mm. since I had come to him through that email with the information. So, so yeah, you know, the following months were filled with, you know, moving our family uh, to a new house and uh, having a lot of really hard conversations. Um, and it wasn't entirely awful. You know, there were some really beautiful conversations had in that time as well. Um, you know, I encountered just as much as I was encountering kind of a cold front from, from some people from one side, I also had a lot of people emerging saying like, Oh gosh, I struggle so much with this too. Or, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm affirming too. And I just don't know what to do, you know? And so 
you know, where I was kind of experiencing what felt like rejection for me, um, interestingly, that also created space um, in other parts of my my universe um, for people to kind of come up close to me and say like, yeah, me too. Um, so what ended up happening with your credentials? Do you mind me asking? No, no, not at all. Um, so I, like I said, I, I had every intention when I resigned of remaining in ministry. Um, but because, you know, as I told you, when I discern my calling to ministry, I immediately synced up with the Church of the Nazarene. Um, and my church background had been buried all over the place. So I didn't really have like roots anywhere. Mm. Um, so this was like, you know, emerging onto the wild frontier for me of figuring mm. out like, uh, where do I go now? You know, I, I did look at the Methodist church um, just because their theology is so close to the Church of the Nazarene. Um, also in seminary, I really grew a deep interest and appreciation for mainline churches. So um, I was looking at a few of those, specifically the Episcopal Church, uh, and we ended up visiting and worshiping for a while at an Episcopal Church close to our house. But um, I, I was surprised, you know, I really thought that it was the upheaval, you know, immediately following my resignation that was affecting my ability. You know, I kept waiting for peace, waiting mm. for things to lock in, you know? Um, you know, I was like, it's weird being a pastor and sitting and having someone else preach. You know, it's just the experience of a church service when you're a pastor is, in my opinion, very different, mm. um, you know, than for people who haven't pastored before. And so I just thought, I'm just a little too in my head about this. But um, as the spring turned into the summer, you know, I ended up, really considering, you know, by really examining, you know, what is it I believe and, and, and which church home, which tradition would be most compatible, compatible with those things, you know, where I would be a good fit within that community and vice versa. Um, I actually ended up zooming out even further mm. and, and really considering like, well, what is it I really believe as a Christian? Like, what does this mean for me? Yeah. And I discovered that, um, you know, the, the lack of confidence that I had in the authority of scripture to explain human sexuality, um, gender identity, um, really that, that lack of confidence um, existed for me with other parts of scripture as well. Hmm. And when I started really considering the other faiths of, that are practiced around the world, um, I just, I guess I'm, I'm summarizing and I'm happy to expand on any of this for you if, if you want. <laughs> but um, I really just got to a point where I, I, I no longer had the, um, I no longer felt called or comfortable being a standard bearer for Christianity at all. Mm. Um, and not just as a pastor, but I, I really felt that I wanted to exit the faith altogether um, because I really wasn't comfortable telling anyone any longer um, that this was the exclusive only path to uh, an afterlife. So when I, when I realized that, that that was where I was landing, um, I, I realized simultaneously that I no longer wanted to be in ministry um, and thus I, I could just 
resign my credentials altogether. Mm. So, um, I mean, I'm summarizing here, you know, this is weeks and weeks, months, you know, of, of just kind of like, uh, you know, yeah. and I was really trying to be patient with the process and not mm. do anything impulsively. You know, I was in, I'm, I'm in therapy, you know, um, but uh, what that ended up looking like for me, I, I wrote, you know, a formal letter of resignation of my credentials, emailed that letter as an attachment to my district superintendent. And, um, and he responded, you know, it was, it was a brief, but um, kind email, I guess. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he said, okay, you know, thank you, but I, I will need you to bring the certificate in. And I kind of brain farted that that was something I would need to do. And he gave me a few options for that. He said, you know, we can meet up and you can hand it over to me then. You can bring it by the district office or you can mail it. And, um, you know, I really, at that point, I just felt really, really emotionally raw. You know, like I've been walking around inside out for months and I really just couldn't bear to have another face-to-face -face interaction, especially with this very last big piece, you know, handing over this thing yeah. that... I had worked so hard for, but also mo more importantly, symbolized such a big piece of my heart for so mm -hmm. long. Um, so I, I opted to mail it in, which is what I did. And um, I, I did like certified mail or something like that, you know, just to make sure that it was confirmed that it was there. And I didn't hear anything back from anyone at the office. So I just assumed that it had been received and, um, yeah, that was awful. I, I spent a long time crying in my car in the parking lot of the post office after I, I sent it through. So thank you for sharing that. I know that's hard. That's probably a hard story to tell. Yeah. What's been happening in your in your life since then? Kind of catch us up to from then till now. I I would say that the 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 shock of leaving. Uh, has definitely leveled out a bit. You know, those first few months were really rocky, very intense, you know, and of course it wasn't just me that was experiencing this, you know, this was happening for my partner and for my children, you know, and that was a, you know, th those are still conversations that are, we're returning to over and over again, processing the choices that I've made and how that's affected our family. And, um, and really it's, it's opened up an ongoing dialogue among the seven of us, you know, about, how we all interpret those scriptures and, and how it shapes how we interact with the people in our community. Um, but I've, I've really come into a place where I feel a lot of peace and joy. Uh, and I didn't realize that those things were absent before mm. um, because I felt so inhibited from really engaging people the way I felt very led to. Mm. Um, you know, leaving, leaving ministry, leaving Christianity is, you know, like I said, it was kind of like that hot object. You do not touch, you do not look at it. You know, you, mm -hmm. you just, ooh, you know, like who wants to talk about that? Um, it sounds like the worst possible outcome. I feel like when you're, when you are still within the church, um, and it's surprised me on the other side of things as I process and I heal and I, you know, I, I grieve, you know, realizing that I'm still me. Mm. Um, and that's been the most surprising, beautiful realization of all of this is that I, you know, I've, I've laid some things down. I have changed in a lot of ways, but I'm still myself. You know, I, I don't care any less for my neighbors 
because I've chosen to step outside of the church. Um, and I've really been enjoying connecting with people without that sense of obligation of um, imparting to them, you know, this, this divine necessity um, for their eternal outcome. And, and that's not to disparage people who remain in ministry and the good, good work that's being done by so many. Um, but for me, that's, that's been the case. It's mm. beautiful. Um, well, I ask everyone, um, and I'm wondering how you might respond to this, but how, how might the church of the Nazarene, how might we have made a more hospitable place for your, for your ministry here? Um, well, that's a hard question, right? Um, you know, like, I feel like the most obvious answer is, you know, to have a different stance on, on, uh, on human sexuality and gender identity. Um, uh, I, what I have discovered um, in, in the lead up to my res resignation and then the time since is that these are things that um, so, so many people are wrestling with in the denomination. And I don't think that it is helpful in any way to present them with the line in the, in the dirt and tell mm -hmm. them the, the answer to your questions is that line you stand on one side or the other. Um, you know, I, I think that the church of the Nazarene, you know, when, when that is the case, when there's so much wrestling going on and these are people of sincere faith that, um, that want to honor, um, scripture, they want to honor Jesus, they want to, you know, incarnate the gospel to their communities. Um, and when that many people are running up against a wall with something, I think that, that should be a cue, um, particularly to denominational leaders. And I don't just mean those at the top tier, but all the way down, you know, to, to the leadership, you know, even the lay leadership in a church that there needs to be space, true space for a dialogue and um, in a way to practice the welcome um, that sincere followers feel called to extend. Mm. Um, so when it becomes more about defending doctrine than extending welcome, I think that the scales have tipped and, and some introspection and adjustment and repentance needs to happen. So um, I wish at those pastors meetings, instead of being told, here it is, here's your paper, you know, put it somewhere safe. That's, those are the rules. Those are the guidelines um, that you follow. I wish that instead that had been a time of, you know, an invitation to discuss what doesn't sit right with you about this, why? Um, so that people didn't feel scared to express their doubts and afraid that their callings would be invalidated as a result. So, um, yeah, that's, I think that's my answer to your question. Yeah. What might you want people to hear? You know, some people are probably listening to this, you know, and are pastors in the church of the Nazarene reflecting on your, on your story. What would you want them to know about this journey? I think that um, the as difficult as our 
experiences in the Church of the Nazarene can be. Um, and again, that, that's not to negate um, the really wonderful things that are also happening in the Church of the Nazarene. But there's, but I know, I, I know, I've talked with so many Nazarene ministers that are in pain um, for a lot of different reasons, some similar to mine, some not. Um, and I think that when you consider leaving as, as hard as it is inside, it can be utterly terrifying. And um, as I alluded to earlier, I would tell those people who are struggling, if, if you decide to leave, you're, you're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. And um, that was such a shock to me. You know, I felt like I, I wandered out into the wilderness when I resigned um, and I blinked a few times and my vision cleared and I discovered that there were people as far as the eye could see. You know, I wasn't out there alone. And I think that that's true no matter where you find yourself um, on the spectrum of figuring out what your place looks like in all of this. Um, and I think that's why, that's why I'm so deeply grateful that you invited me to kind of share my story um, is that there are so many stories out there. Um, and I think, I think we're piecing it together. So I think that um, we could do better about reaching out and kind of voicing our, our fears and our doubts and our concerns and just kind of, you know, wrestling with all these things uh, alongside each other instead of tucking it away for the sake of holiness. Mm. Thank you so much, Lene, for, for sharing your story. I really appreciate your openness and your honesty um, in, in telling it. It means a lot. Thank you, Britt. I'm honored to have been able to share. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey, millennial pastor podcast listeners. I'm Ryan Fasani, a millennial pastor, a farmer, and an author in the Pacific Northwest. I've written a new book titled Walking Trees. It's the first book in the Changing Everything series, which chronicles my long and often humorous journey of reconstruction. Have you ever tried to make a fire with wet driftwood on the beach? Considered how disgusting it is to be spat on in the face? Or thought about breaking into a home in broad daylight? Have you ever considered how bizarre it is for slaves to manage millions in assets? Or thought through the political implications of robbing highly valued commodities from an empire? 
Walking Trees, and Other Short Stories That Changed Everything I Believe About Jesus is my humble attempt to begin answering all the unanswered questions I've carried with me about classic Sunday school stories. Each chapter is full of insights from a pilgrim unwilling to skirt obstacles or take shortcuts. In the end, my childhood faith gives way to the fresh, radical, creative, world-changing ministry and message of Jesus. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.